thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hi everyone and welcome back to Football Digest. It's another women's football show today uh, with this episode brought to you by our Reach Women's Football team. Uh, I'm your host, Jack Lacey-Hatton. I'm the Chief Women's Football Reporter at The Mirror. Um, and I'm joined by Beth Lindop, our Merseyside writer, and Hannah Pinnock, who looks after the Midlands. Um, but today we're going to be turning our attention to the international scene uh, just a few days away from England's return to action, uh, nearly a month after that World Cup final defeat in Sydney against Spain. Uh, England host Scotland, of course, at the Stadium of Light on Friday, uh, their first game in the new UEFA Women's Nations League as well. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me both. Um, Beth, I'll come to you first. Uh, obviously, this this game against Scotland and then and then the game against the Netherlands. H- how do you see it in terms of England's... Uh, how difficult a start is it for England? And also, how important is the Nations League going to be, do you think, to, to the team's assessment of this season and, and, and how will Serena Veeman rank the trophy in terms of importance? Yeah, well, I, I mean, first of all, I think it, it, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? You, you, some international games um, and international friendlies that might be typically played at this time of year will be very one-sided. You know, we remember sort of England winning 10-0 against some opposition, at 8-0 and, and, and those sort of very one-sided games that aren't particularly enjoyable or entertaining for anyone unless you're, you're an England fan. So um, I suppose in a sense, having a more competitive dynamic makes it a little bit more engaging and a little bit more exciting for, for everyone involved. I think obviously that brings its own issues for the coach. I know Serena was asked last week in, in her press conference about you know, the difficulties of managing the, the workload of a squad, obviously, as you said, Jack, it's a, a month a month to the day, actually, isn't it, since the, the Women's World Cup final uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And obviously the WSL season gets underway in a couple of weeks. So the fact that there's more competitive games to be played, um, you know, that, that, that obviously brings about its own issues in terms of injuries and, and, and workload. But I think, you know, Serena Vigman is a serial winner. She's cultivated this squad of, of serial winners and they will want to win every single game um, no matter what. And I think, you know, having another trophy on the line, we obviously the, the Men's Nations League now is an established competition and, and obviously UEFA are hoping that, that that's the case on the women's side of things as well. So, you know, I think England will be, be very much angling to to get to that final. And obviously that the sort of that, um, added dynamic isn't there of the the repercussions for Olympic qualification as well, which you know we'll, we'll probably get onto a little bit later in the pod. But that adds an extra extra element, and that that will be interesting to see how that one all unfolds. And I think in terms of the the opposition England are facing, I think it will actually be really really tricky. I think you know we saw the other week, didn't we, the, the England Scotland game and in, in the men's side of things had that little bit of edge to it, that little bit of needle. And you know I don't think that's quite as prevalent in the women's game, but you know I think both sides always want to get one over on on, on the old enemy, don't they? And then and the Netherlands obviously acquitted themselves really well at, at the World Cup. They've got some absolutely world-class talent in that side. Obviously, Serena's all team as well. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be, it's two really good games, two two games that have the potential to be really sort of tasty. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it and, and looking forward to, to getting back to, to international football. Yeah, and England as well, the, the top-ranked team going into this Nations League, the top seed team in terms of the UEFA coefficient. So, in theory, uh, England will be favourites for this group, but, but like you say, Beth, it's a really tough, tough task. I think Scotland and the Netherlands, obviously, like you said, as well as and Belgium in there as well. Um, and yeah, a battle of Britain derby is definitely a, an interesting way to kickstart things. 
uh, Hannah, how do you feel about how, how excited are you for the the Nations League and and yeah, how how important do you see it for for England over the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those that when it comes in, you're thinking, oh, another new tournament, like who's going to care? But once it gets going and once you sort of get to the latter stages of it, it's like, oh no, <laughs> we do want to win this. And obviously Beth mentioned there the repercussions in terms of qualification, not just for the Olympics, but over the years, it'll be important for qualification for the Euros and, and the next World Cup as well. So obviously that adds a, a different element. But I think from an England perspective, it's probably... I'd say it's quite good to maybe get into something a little bit more competitive to maybe take, you know, move on from from that World Cup final defeat. Obviously, that's one that will hurt for a very, very, very long time. But to be able to move on and and almost straight away turn our attentions to another potential trophy. And, you know, it's a huge opportunity to to put that behind us. So um, I'd, I'd like to see Team GB at the Olympics. Um, you know, we've seen them a few times before and, and it is another huge competition to win. And <clears throat> and that's what Serena Wiegmann teams do. They like to win things. So um, winning not just the Nations League, but getting that qualification for the Olympics as well, I think will be really important. Yeah, you've both kind of uh, got got a step ahead of me, but like you say, it is the, it is important this this Team GB qualification, I think, as well as as the Nations League as a, as a tournament in its own right. Uh, just for those who don't know, England are the nominated team for Team GB qualification, so could have a slightly bizarre scenario where Scottish players who have hopes of, of being in that Team GB squad would need England to to win the group and possibly and, and finish in the top two of the the Nations League. The, the top two will. Will qualify unless France are one of the top two, um, as they've already qualified. Of course, they're in Olympics. In that case, the the third place team would uh, would go through to Paris twenty twenty four. So it's a little bit complex, and and perhaps adds an extra dynamic. It certainly will do to that that return fixture um, back up in in Scotland later this year. Um, but in terms of in terms of Friday's game, um, like you said earlier, Beth, it's exactly a month on from that World Cup final. It almost feels to me anyway as like it's I've, I've barely just got back from Australia and now we're already straight into another international break. Um, how, how, how do we feel the England players are going to be in terms of their freshness? Have they had long enough a break? I know it was something that I was at Serena Wiegmann's press conference last week and and she mentioned it as a, as a potential potential issue and she she might have to, to rotate to, to keep certain players fresh. Think of Alessia Russo in particular, who uh, who hasn't had much of a break at all. She's already been in competitive action for Arsenal a couple of weeks uh, after the final. So, so yeah. So, so Beth, I come to you. How, how do you sort of see that posing a problem for England over the next two games? Do you think we'll have to? We know Serena doesn't like to rotate normally too much, but will, will we see more of that over these 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 two games? Yeah, I think perhaps I think Serena alluded to that herself, didn't she? She sort of suggested that she might have to rotate and there's been conversations with with governing bodies and with clubs in terms of managing players' workload. So I think we maybe see will see an element of that. Um I think it's it's such a weird concept, really, isn't it? Because as you say, that the World Cup finished in August and you would have expected the domestic season to have started up by now. Obviously, that's been delayed for the start of the uh, for the World Cup, sorry. So that doesn't start until October the first. So we're in a slightly unusual predicament where we've got another international break before the season's actually started, which is a is a slightly odd one. And I can imagine for the players that aren't involved in international setups, it might be quite frustrating because they've probably had a, a really long summer obviously four months since the WSL was was last underway and they've got to wait for their teammates to come back I mean I, I went and spoke to a couple of Manchester City players last week and Demi Stokes who obviously wasn't involved 
in the World Cup, this squad this in the summer said, you know, it feels like the players have been away for three years. So for those players who aren't involved in the England setup this time around, it probably will feel quite frustrating. Um, Steph Horton, obviously former England captain, spoke um, really, really strongly actually about the issue of, of managing player welfare and, and making sure that players are looked after and listened to. Um, and, and Chloe Kelly was asked as well about, you know, how she felt about going back. And, and she said, sort of very diplomatically said she felt well, but also that, you know, it's important that we look after players and we look after, you know, that their bodies and their workloads and everything that being managed. So I think that's definitely an issue. And I think Serena will probably look to negate that by rotating a little bit and maybe an opportunity for some of those players who went away to the World Cup and, and, and didn't really play um, for them to maybe get more of a, of a start in birth in, in these couple of games or, or play more of a role. Um, you know, obviously now that, Obviously, England will want to want to win, and certainly for the qualification for the Olympics element as well. But I think it also there's not the pressure is there of a World Cup or a Euros. So I think it does give Serena a bit of an opportunity to rotate a little bit more, and I think we, we will certainly see that over the next two games. Yeah, I would also agree with that. I think there'll be a, a definite shift in terms of not just the same eleven that we became so accustomed to at the World Cup, that a team that did so well. But I think there's there will definitely be risks of uh, of them having to play another sort of two games in the space of, of, of five days. That would that would put a lot of pressure on them. Um, Hannah, me and you were at the the WSL launch day last week. Um, which feels strange considering we've still we've now got another international window. Like I said, before that season even starts, I mean. How how do you see that? Does that does that feel strange to you? And and do you think it will have an impact on on England players meeting up again? Having like we said, not a long break after the World Cup, they then have to go for a bit of pre-season at their clubs, and now they're back in with England. Uh, how how do you see that uh, affecting the team over the next two games? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'm probably with a lot of the the WSL managers on how frustrating that is. I mean, I found it quite hard as a writer to kind of switch from World Cup mode then back to WSL and now sort of back to international and England mode. So I can only imagine how difficult it is for for players especially. Um, so pre-season-wise though, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Willy Kirk was talking about how um, he sort of prepared their pre-season to sort of end at that Liverpool friendly that they had over the weekend sort of before the international break so I think a lot of clubs have probably done a, a similar sort of thing where they've put all their preparations and made sure that they are sort of ready for the start of the international break so they can sort of come back and and get going but you know Beth said it there when you think talk about player welfare it is extremely important I mean it's not too I mean, we normally do have an international break around this time of year. It's just normally we're sort of already into the season. So um, it is it is a very, very strange dynamic. But uh, I, I think if anything, you kind of hope that the players in the England set at the moment would probably just view it as an opportunity to to just move on from the World Cup and and hopefully sort of turn our attention to something something else and, and another trophy potentially. So... Hopefully it's sort of viewed as a bit of an opportunity, but I don't doubt that there's sort of probably ongoing discussions sort of under the radar about how we manage these sorts of things moving forward because it you can get on, don't want to get onto the topic of injuries and, and things like that, but it is very common in the women's game and, and things like this probably don't help that. 
Yeah, and I think at that same launch as well, we heard from the WSL League Chiefs, and and they said that they they made the decision to to start the season later because of this international window. It would have felt strange, I suppose, as well, starting it for one week and then us all switching to international mode, like you say, and, and then switching back. So, so yeah, there is there is method to it, I guess. But I think definitely the, the schedule perhaps might need a little uh, tweak over the next few years and, and we'll definitely need looking at. Um, we've got a lot of other topics to cover as well, but just quickly, just finally on, on England, um, we, and like you said there, Hannah, it's an opportunity to win another trophy. Serena Wiegmann's already got the the finalissima two nation uh, two Arnold Clark Cups and and a Euros um, in the England Trophy cabinet. They'll want another one. Um, what are the, what are their chances? Do you think, Beth, uh, and in terms of getting through this group as well? Like we say, Belgium, Netherlands, Scotland. There's not. There's not. I mean, I know Belgium weren't at the World Cup, but there's not really particularly any easy games. It, it, in that group perhaps that's the obviously that is the, the point of the Nations League that's why they've brought it in but yeah how, how, how do you see England's chances of, of reaching those finals? I think England have given us very little reason to doubt them haven't they under, under Serena Beegman I mean the, the World Cup final was her first competitive defeat which is absolutely absurd considering she's she's been in place for, for nearly two years now so it's um yeah it's I, I fancy England to go on and win it I think as you say they're the, the top seeded group um, I think the games will be challenging this in, in the next week or so. I think the Scotland game will be difficult. I think the Netherlands game will be even more difficult still, especially with it being away from home. Um, so I do think it will be a challenge for England. I don't think it will be sort of, you know, any sort of 8-0 routes or anything like that. I think it will be very closely fought and, and I think it will be a difficult, um, it will be a very difficult contest for them. But, you know, they're, they're capable of beating anyone on the day, England. And, and as Hannah alluded to earlier, that they've got probably a little bit of a chip on the shoulder now after losing that World Cup final. They'll want to, to bounce back and, and be as strong as possible. So I do think England do have a pretty good chance of, of, of going on to, to win the win the tournament and, and certainly equip themselves very well anyway. Hannah, I mean, there's a couple of players in this squad as well, we should say, who were on, only on standby for the World Cup and then didn't didn't end up playing a minute at the finals, who we thought might have been part of the squad, or certainly I did, uh, the likes of Maya Letizia and, and, and Jess Park. Is there anyone in in that sort of area or any any England players you think that could break through into the into the team over this this coming season, this this Nations League campaign, or, or do you think we'll see a, a similar side to the one we saw at the World Cup? I think it'll be relatively similar, but I mean, Beth's probably watched her a lot more than I have last season, but, you know, Jess Park is probably, along with Lauren James, one of the most exciting sort of England players coming through at the moment. So it was a little bit of a shame that the injury sort of hampered her being on, on sort of standby and, and being involved, at least with that pre-World Cup camp. Um, but She's back at Manchester City this season. So if, if she has a really, really good season with Man City, I, I'd really like to see Jess Park sort of break through, probably more so with an eye on the Euros in 2025 than a potential Olympics next year. But for me, Jess Park's really, really exciting. I, I just remember seeing what she did at Anfield in the Merseyside derby and you're thinking, you know, this girl has no fear whatsoever. So um, it, it, it could be a pretty big... Um, international break for for Jess especially if you know if Serena's talking about rotating players and maybe giving opportunity to others that maybe weren't involved as in a bid to sort of rotate that squad a little bit then then maybe Jess Park at least from the bench is someone that could really do that so she she's the one for me that I would probably keep keep an eye on not just for for England this year but for Manchester City as well.
Yeah, we do often seem to be beating the, the Jeff Park drum on this show. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited as well to see how she gets on at, at Man City this season. And and yeah, whether she can break into that that England forward line, there's a lot of competition there, but uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, one one topic, another topic away from England that I think we should we have to talk about today, really. Uh, breaking news just sort of a couple of hours before we came on air is that Spain have agreed to to end their their player boycott um following the the Louis Rubleas scandal over the over the past month or so obviously since that world cup final um which has had a number of twists and turns but as things stand at the moment as as we're talking now it seems that they will be able to field a team um for the get their games against Sweden and Switzerland in the Nations League um i mean it's 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 hard to know where to start really in terms of in terms of what what the Spain players are thinking or what, what how they've come to this decision, uh, there are apparently seven hours of worth of talks with um, federations and the government sports agency to to get them to this point. Um, Hannah, how do you feel Spanish has has handled the situation in the month since the final? Poorly. That's that's the one the one word that you can use to describe it. It's just so disappointing you know and I, I I I think I've said it on a podcast before but I feel for the players more than anyone else in terms of you know how this whole situation has been handled from from top to bottom it's just you know when you're thinking about the biggest moment of of their careers and the biggest achievement that they could ever achieve in the game and the whole thing has been completely overshadowed by everything that's followed and and no one's talking about sort of Olga Jimena's goal in the final or it being a breakout tournament for Salma everyone's talking about the kiss and that's largely down to how the federation have handled it and the fact that it's not been you know sort of dealt with swiftly like you'd expect it to be um, it's sort of dragged on and, and they've put out some ridiculous statements as well. Um, they're just completely disrespectful to the players. So, um, yeah, I, I for one have, have just sort of followed everything that's happened over the last month with, you know, just watching on and, and it's just one blow after another, one sort of, I, I, I lose count of how many times I've just sat there looking at my phone and looking at a story that's come out and just thinking, what in the world like like how is this happening so yeah I know Beth you wrote a really really good piece yesterday about the whole thing so um yeah I, I completely agree and it's just how the federation have handled it is is extremely disappointing and it, and it just shows how far the women's game has to go because it's not just Spain that are fighting their own battles with their federations there's a lot of national teams you know a lot that were at the world cup that are sort of in not exactly the same boats, but similar boats in terms of being in those battles with with their national teams. So yeah, there's there's still a long way to go in the women's game before, you know, we're at any kind of place where where we're not having to have these conversations. Yeah. Um and of course I think it's fifteen players who were, were part of the World Cup squad were, were initially called up and then and then it looked like they were going to go on on strike and and Spain wouldn't have been able to field a team. For these two games, um, Hannah mentioned it there, but Beffy, I know you, you you've written about this over the last month extensively and, and wrote again about it yesterday. Just in terms of, I mean, what 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 mindset do you think the, these players will be in after after such a, a, a traumatic spell? And and even though I think the important point is as well is that even though Jorge Vilda, the, the manager, has been removed, uh, Rubleas himself has, has has now 
removed from his position eventually, although that, that took longer than, than any of us expected. Um, yeah, how, how do you sort of see, how, how does Spain move forward, I suppose, from this? Because I think it's important to say these issues that are clearly deep-rooted, that, that it's not a case of just two individuals going and everything's everything's solved, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, mean, I think you've just got to hope that the, the talks that they've had overnight, these extensive talks have, have helped. But you've got to hope that these talks overnight have helped to really sort of yield some sort of positive um some positive resolution but yeah it's it's been a it's been a horrendous situation and really sad to watch i think the thing that really sort of struck me yesterday was those videos of the of the players um sort of being forcibly sort of having to report for, for international duty and sort of the somber looks on their faces and one player even was asked directly you know are you happy to be in this squad and she very bluntly said no i'm not um which i think speaks volumes about about the, the mood in the camp um and it's it's just it's sickening really when you think a month of the day since they've won the, the women's world cup final and we're, we're still talking about you know the kiss and and the, the subsequent fallout of it and it has been a complete circus in the way that it's been handled and i think as jack you you mentioned there it's not just about rubiales going it's not just about jorge builder going a lot of the players you know with within the rff is still sort of the same and and i think there's still sort of some real systemic issues to to really work out and, and to really handle. Um, so hopefully these these positive talks can be sort of a first real step in the right direction. And um, it'll be interesting to see if any of the players come out and, and say anything else now and, and, and really address the issue again. But um, but yeah, it's it's been really, really sad. And I think as Hannah sort of perfectly said there, it just shows you how far we've still got to come in the women's game, not just in Spain, but but around the world really. So um, yeah, hugely disappointing, but hopefully now this could be, be the start of a bit of a turning point in the Spanish game. Just from your sort of perspective on the situation, do you, do you think it's, it's it's good news that they've ended this boycott? Or I suppose it's, it's hard to know, isn't it? Would we rather see them on the pitch for these two games or or do you feel like their hand's been forced a little bit? I mean, it's important to say as well, there was there was the threat of legal action at one point against the players, which is kind of what's what's forced them to, to turn up for this camp in the first place and engage in a dialogue. Um, yeah, do you, will you be happy to see them step out on the pitch, I suppose? I think it depends, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like the, the conversations that they've had over the past 24 hours have been pretty extensive. So you would like to think that the resolution has been reached with the players, you know, largely on the whole feeling pretty happy with with the situation. But, you know, I think as you said there, a lot of them reported to, to international duty yesterday because they've been threatened. They've been told in no, no uncertain terms that if they didn't report, then they could potentially lose their playing licenses that would prevent them from playing domestically as well as internationally. You know, these are athletes at the peak of the powers, incredibly gifted athletes, as we know from, from watching them at the World Cup in the summer. So, you know, that, that it's not fair at all and not conceivable for them that, that they have to sacrifice two years potentially of their playing careers to sort of stick by the, their principles. That just, you know, it's not fair to demand that of anybody. So, um, yeah, I think sort of one thing that, that really stuck out to me, you know, Jenny Hermoso herself, obviously, who was kissed by Rubiales in the aftermath of that World Cup final. She released a statement the other day after being omitted for the squad for her own protection, allegedly. Um, and, and she sort of spoke about this manipulative divisive culture and, and the tactics that the Spanish FA have been using to to I guess really divide this this team and and you've got to hope that that, that element of it stops and um, because until that's addressed until that, that element of manipulation is addressed I don't see how you can move forward positively at all um 
But yeah, I think hopefully the conversations that they've had have yielded some sort of positive result and there's some sort of real signs of a tangible change being made because, you know, as of yesterday, it just looked a complete mess and it certainly sort of felt like the hands had been forced a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think complete mess probably sums it up uh, as well as I could hope to put it. And, and clearly, as we, we've discussed, yeah, Ru- Ruby has been taken out of the situation, eventually taking himself out of the situation, uh, doesn't seem to have solved anything. So I think that's going to run and run over the over the coming months. And, and, and yeah, the next international break, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Spain. Um, obviously, as well, we, we should probably just touch on before we're going that... Uh, Amidst all this, that there is a new WSL season just around the corner. Um, I think uh, a lot of us will be be pleased to, to see the return of the domestic game after after such a long summer. Obviously, partly because of this World Cup and and then another international break. But yeah, it feels feels like a long time since uh, since Chelsea were crowned champions back in May. Um, Hannah, I'll come to you first. Is there sort of in terms of your excitement for the season? What 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 are you hoping to see from from the the teams throughout the division and, and and do you think this could potentially be the, the best WSL season we've had so far? Yeah, I mean, we're saying it year after year, aren't we? This is the most exciting WSL season. So I, I don't doubt that, that this year will be exactly the same. Um, I think for me, what, what I really want to see, not just this season, but in the years to come, is that gap between the top four and the rest closing. Um Villa came close last year so my hope really is you know when I when I watch Villa this season is that that that, that gap closes even more um if they're able to to build on on what they did last year and and reduce the points gap or potentially you know do something remarkable and actually sort of pip one of their rivals to the top four then that would be extremely exciting so to sort of have these teams like Villa on the rise and you don't want to speak too soon because you know we, we see it all the time in the WSL where teams have one good season and then they're out of the sort of top five or top six the year after and it you know it's a little bit of that yo-yo thing with teams and and there's no guarantees that you know Villa could be anywhere near it this season but given the way that they've recruited and, and what Carla Ward's building, you do feel like they are the closest team to doing that. And I think that'll be the one thing that that really makes this league exciting. You know, we have exciting title races most years. Obviously, last year was the most exciting of all, um, you know, with it going right to the wire between Man United and, and Chelsea. Um, but if we can sort of extend that to not just qualification for Europe, but qualification to the top four as well, I think it can only be a really good thing for the game so you know that's the one thing that I'm really excited for this season is is hopefully seeing and maybe not just Villa obviously Everton were, were there there or thereabouts last year I think Liverpool with their second season in the WSL maybe I'm hopeful, hopefully speaking a little bit but um, you know it'll be nice to see them sort of claw their way up the table a bit more and, and become a threat to the top four once again um, but again whether or not it's something that we see this season remains to be seen but with the way that the teams outside of the top four are investing now it's it's something that we'll hopefully see um in the not too distant future yeah and it's it's an important point because it's something that again was mentioned at, at the launch last week by by baroness sue campbell is that the, the 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 current broadcast deal comes to an end at the end of this season there's obviously going to be 
big structural changes at the WSL from next season onwards, which I've written about for the for the Mirror earlier this week. Um, and the, the, to sell the league, to, to to get the maximum revenue possible, they need to have a competitive fight at the top. There's, I think they're, they're really keen to avoid just sort of a a big four dominating and and, and running away with it. Um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully we don't see that this season. Beth, I'm going to put something to you, a potential theory I've been thinking of over the last week or so, uh, looking ahead to the new season. Last year, I would say it was still a successful season for, or, or viewed as a successful season for Arsenal and, and, and Manchester City. For, for different reasons, I think they could still be relatively happy with where they finished. Obviously, a successful season for Manchester United, breaking into the, the top three and finishing second. Um, first time, I think, since 2014 that the top three was different. Um and obviously Chelsea's champions, but this year, will there be, do you think that basically that could happen again? It feels like someone's going to be disappointed at the end of this season um, and someone's going to have to give one way or the other. So, so yeah, how, how do you sort of see that, that title fight playing out? Well, I mean, it's very hard to, to bet against Chelsea, isn't it? Obviously, if they go on and win it this year, it'll be the, the fifth consecutive title and they're sort of like Manchester City in the men's game. They're just constantly evolving and, and bringing in the right personnel to sort of help maintain that dominance. So if, I, if, you, if you put a gun to my head now, I would probably say Chelsea will, will come out champions again. But I, I think it's, you know, there's been some really exciting additions for both Manchester United and Arsenal. Obviously, Manchester City haven't been as active in the transfer market, but they have brought in Jill Rhodes, who's obviously... You know, we're going to see an action next week for the Netherlands as well. So um, I think all of those teams have, have improved. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that gap closes a little bit more. Obviously, in the one point separated Manchester United and Chelsea last season. I'm excited to see United this season, actually. Obviously, much talked about Alessi Russo leaving. Um, but I think they've brought in some really good talent. Um, so I think it will be exciting to see them this season. Um, and I think, again, sort of without going into this too much, because I know we're wrapping up shortly, but um, I think this is where the women's game, you know, still maybe needs to evolve. Only the top three obviously qualify for the Champions League. And even then that's qualifying for qualifiers for, for two of those teams. So I think, you know, hopefully in the years to come, we have, you know, maybe a, a 20 team WSL where the top six teams get Europe. And I think that maybe gives those teams sort of outside of, of the big sort of big names uh, an opportunity to, to have something to really compete for because, you know, Liverpool and Everton, I thought, you know, did, did well last season. I think they're in a good position to go and do well this season, but there's no real tangible reward outside of the top three is there at the moment. So, um, so yeah, hopefully in the future we might see that. But I think it's the league as a whole, 100%, as Hannah said, is definitely getting more competitive. You only have to look at, you know, Liverpool broke the, you know, got a, a club record signing over the summer in Sophie Roman Hogg. Got like the likes of Vicky Lasardo, obviously Barcelona legend, going to, to Brighton. So, you know, it just shows you that some of the best players in the world are looking at WSL now as, as a destination and a place that they really want to come. And and hopefully that makes it more more entertaining and, and more enjoyable for for everyone involved. Yeah, you're right. Definitely, I think it's the it's now clearly the the biggest and best women's league in the world. So, yeah, we we probably need more time to to preview the new season in in real detail and go through the twelve teams because I think there's some great stories uh, up and down the division. Um, but we're going to have to leave it there for today. Uh, Beth, Hannah, thank you for joining me so much. Stay tuned over the coming week or so for our coverage uh, over the international doubleheader, uh, England with those two Nations League games that we talked about earlier against Scotland on Friday, and then they travel to the Netherlands on Tuesday. Um, but that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. 